Well, good evening and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Wow, a lot of people here on Saturday night. Like there's a game or something tomorrow, something like that, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, is everybody warm? I am like, wow, wishing I was in Boca Raton right now. But it's cold in Boca Raton, I'm just going to tell you. And uh, yeah, it's cold everywhere. Cold, 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 cold. I was up north earlier. You know, it's so funny, I moved here uh, 12 years ago. Actually, this was a weekend 12 years ago that Tammy and I came and met uh, the group of people that were in the storefront for the very first time. It was 70 degrees. I remember saying to myself, self, I can do this. They say Wisconsin is cold. 70 degrees. Little did I know that it was what they call Indian summer. You know what I'm talking about? So I said yes on a Sunday night. The next morning, John Enfield calls my hotel room. I was over here at like, I don't know what it's called now, but the American or right there on the freeway. And, uh, and so uh, he said, Pastor, uh, have you looked outside? And I said, nope. And he said, uh, well, welcome to Wisconsin. And it was one of those days where everything was gray and snow was just coming down. And a cold front had kind of blown in from Canada somewhere and just, you know, it come through and it was like, welcome to Wisconsin. Or as we say here, welcome to Wisconsin, right? So, because when I moved here, I called it Wisconsin. That's what Southerners do, but you call Arkansas, Arkansas, and I'm okay with that. I, not everybody has a sophistication. I get it. So, uh, yeah, ouch, wow. It's going to be a rowdy crowd over here. You ladies need to be nice. So uh, if you have your Bibles on, you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 22. And again, I am delighted to see you today, and, uh, and I... Uh, I just want to talk to you just kind of really about um, some philosophy that we have here at Life Church about missions. And uh, missions is around the corner around the world. Missions basically is taking the Great Commission and making it active. And uh, Nando said it a few minutes ago. Missions is about, you know, uh, praying, giving, and going. And we try to get everybody active in those areas and give you opportunities. And uh, typically one of those things are going to be easier than the other two for you, but we, we try to push and stretch all of us in this way. And uh, there's multiple reasons, but one of the things I want to talk to you about today, though, is really a philosophy behind this. And um, it's one of the reasons why, there's several reasons why. I, I, first of all, I'm naturally passionate about seeing people come to faith in Christ. I'm not a chaplain. Twelve years ago when Tammy and I came and met with this band of lion chasers here, uh, one of the things I said to them was, look, if you need somebody to marry you and bury you and hold your hand between those two times, I'm not the guy. I, I literally want to take hell on with a water gun. Uh, I'm a shoe salesman in a land where nobody wears shoes, and all I need is just to get a, get a chance to get a pair on your feet, and I'll change you for life. That's just how I view it. And so um, I, uh, this is a natural thing for me to get really, really, really passionate about. But it's more than just that. It's, it's more than just being biblical. I think everybody kind of goes, yeah, I know we're supposed to like do something about the world. I get it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but it really comes from a philosophy. I have two teenage daughters, and I tell them all the time, if your heart is right, it will come right out on your face. If your heart's not right, you can't do enough training of your facial muscles to be able to not roll your eyes or go, oh, Oh my goodness, Dad, I'm so... 
You know, I live in the Hormone Hilton, so pray for me, please. But, uh, you, you know, but if this is right, this will all come out right. If this is wrong, there's not enough acting in the world that can change what comes out. And it's a philosophy that I want to talk to you about. It's, it's what I call the I am third lifestyle. Uh, I am third. And uh, it, it's completely biblical. Jesus speaks of it, and Matthew records it in Matthew chapter 22, excuse me, Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. Verse 36. Teacher, which command in the law is the most important? They're asking Jesus this. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Verse 38. The first command is the most important command. And the second command is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. And all of the law, which is the Old Testament, basically, for our purposes, the, the, the word of God, and the writings of the prophet depend upon these two commands. He says this is that we're to love Jesus first. Love God. Love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with everything. Number one, commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God, and I'll have no other gods before me. Your honor God first and foremost. God won't be second. God won't be third. God won't be fourth. God won't be somewhere in the parenthetical thoughts of your mind. God will be number one in your life for nothing at all. The Bible says that God says of himself that he is a jealous God. When you read that and when you hear that, don't make light of that and think, well, really, you know, God's not really, you know, jealousy is not a good thing. No, it means exactly what you think it means. God will not sit in the back seat. God will not sit in the passenger seat. God is number one in control, the whole enchilada or nothing at all. Secondly, Jesus says, look, it's not just enough that you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but you must love your neighbor next. You know, we learned this in Sesame Street, right? Who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Okay, you know the song, right? You get the idea. So it's our neighbors. It's the people that we do life with. It's the people that we live around. It's the people that we work with. It's, it's the people that we cross paths with. And neighbors today aren't just necessarily people that live next door or down the block. Some of your kids are involved in sports and, and involved in other curricular activities that, quite frankly, their friends are all over the city, maybe even all over a region. You have clients, you have business partners, you have interactions and friendships that may be not just, not just local or regional, but national and international. This world, because of technology, has gotten increasingly smaller. So your neighbor, they're second. And, and what's interesting is he never even says that you are third. He just says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the second most important thing is to love your neighbor, and then you can love yourself. And that means that I am third. We don't live in a world that practices that. Now, somebody asked me, why is it so important that we talk about missions? Why is it so important that you have to do four weeks on missions? I mean, can't you just take your offering and, like, take the little card and fill it out and be done with it? Because it's not about filling out a card. It's not about giving. It's about an attitude in my life. If this is right, my face will be right. If this is right, my giving will be right. If this is right, my prayers will be right. If this is right, my going will be right. But if this isn't right, none of this will make any difference. Because God doesn't need your money or mine. He doesn't need your help or mine. He wants our heart. And this comes from an attitude. God first. 
my neighbor, which is you, second, and then myself, third. Think about what the world would be like if we lived in a world where that was actually lived out. Where people honestly, not that they're perfect, but that they honored God, first and foremost. Secondly, that they then really served their fellow man. That they served them. And then thirdly, uh, they, let, they served themselves. We've been talking about this passage in John chapter 6 the last two weeks. This feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting to me that sometimes, again, I grew up in church that if everything just happened to come together, it was kind of coincidental. It would actually be, uh, maybe it's the Holy Spirit was working it and orchestrating it. The very first week, two weeks ago, when Deshaun was here from Sri Lanka, I'm sitting over here on the front row and with Kevin next to me. It was a, the, the last weekend service, and they had just brought the kids in from youth convention, and we had students all across the front. And Deshaun, I knew where his text was because I had been at the other two services. And he goes into this, and so as soon as he does, it clicks in my mind. I knew what Kevin's text was going to be because we had talked about it for the next weekend. And he was actually going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And so when Deshaun goes there, Kevin goes, wow, what am I going to do? I said, no, Kevin, this is incredible because you didn't know. I didn't know. But somewhere God keeps bringing us back to this text. And in my sermon, unbeknownst to Deshaun, unbeknownst to Kevin, this is the key. There's something there for at least all of us, probably, or some of us. But I won't, I won't reread the passage because we've read it for the last two weekends. But it's where Jesus has been teaching all day long, John chapter 6. And there's not any food for these people to eat. And Jesus asked Philip, Philip, what do I need to do? What should we do? And Philip's like, man, I can't get to pick and save fast enough to feed these people, right? And there's no Jimmy John's, right? So fast you'll freak. There's no Jimmy John to deliver here. We're outside the area. So what are we going to do? And Philip says, all I've got is this lunch, this boy with the lunch. And if the boy hadn't given his lunch, nobody would have been fed, including himself. But at the end of the day, the boy put himself third. It illustrates the point brilliantly. They ask him for what he has. And he, in turn, says, this is all I have. Some loaves and some fish. Here. Jesus, I will give this to you first. Then what does Jesus do with it? Does he turn right around and serve the boy next? No. He serves the 5,000. And somewhere in the middle of the 5,000, the boy was served. Jesus first, the 5,000 second. The boy who brought the lunch was third. Now, if that had been my lunch, first of all, I was going to let you know, that would not be in the Bible. Because I'd be like, yeah, this is all I have. I have to keep up my fighting weight here, Jesus. You don't get a body like this by fasting and not eating. And stinks to be these people. Now, my forehead's itching right now. Like, they're losers. I'm sorry. I'm eating. Do what you need to do. And all you skinny people go, that's so sad. <laughs> and every fat person goes, I'm with them. <laughs> every man for himself. 
Mm. Tell the truth and shame the devil. You know what I'm saying? It's the truth. That's how we are. And at the end of the day, what happens? He gives it first, then the 5,000 second. Then Jesus says, then, then the boy is served somewhere in the middle of that. He is third. This I am third lifestyle mentality is characteristic of missions. People who are mission-minded and people who are missionaries. I sat down with a couple this week. Missionaries to um, a country that is 90 in the upper 90, probably in the upper 99th percentile Muslim. And they're educated people. They're intelligent people. They're from the state of Wisconsin. She's working for, on a Ph.D. with an undergraduate, I think, in biochemistry engineering from the University of Wisconsin with a graduate degree in theology from Wheaton. Brilliantly smart people. High-octane people. I mean, these people could, could basically teach, and her husband is as equally... Uh, educated, could teach in any university anywhere in the world. Humble, nice. And I said, so talk to me about Eurasia. Talk to me about your area of the world. Because it's not America in the Bible Belt. It's not Central and South America. It's not Africa where a million people can show up for a crusade. You're in an area of the world that I, I've heard Omar Byler, who is the Assemblies of God World Missions Director over Eurasia. It's, a, it's an area of the world where he says, we will spend decades of our life only to see a handful of converts. He likens it as unto taking a field and that is full of stumps and rocks and having to first, before you can actually plow the ground, you have to clear the field of the stumps and the rocks. Just north here of this campus, Richfield, Wisconsin, the old Germantown, Dinesville settlement, you'll actually find where German families came here in the 1700s. And much of the farmland, this rich, black soil Wisconsin land, was filled with trees and vegetation and so with mules and with hand axes and saws these people came from Germany and, and they came and, and to the settlements like Dinesville and they, they actually cleared the land in order to produce the vegetation that we have today it wasn't just like that that means there are years of just cutting down trees, picking up stumps, pulling up rocks. What does that have to do with it? That's the kind of work these people are doing in their area of the world. They can't just go plant a church and 100 people or 500 people or 1,000 people show up. They, they can't just do this. They can't get a religious visa to get into the country. Did you hear the Campbells who were just on the video who were going to a province of China where we've never had Protestant missionaries, period? Do you know what that's like? No. I don't. They're a Wisconsin couple. 
They like to eat cheese and root for the Packers and root for the Badgers just like you do. And God's called them. And so it's a lifestyle of highly intelligent, highly engaged people giving their lives maybe to only see a handful of converts, maybe to never see in their lifetime what God wants to do. Much easier fields to go to, much easier places to go to. But they understand one thing. God, you are first. I am not second. It's the world, my neighbor, and then I'll be served. See, missions is first and foremost a command that we obey. It's a command that we obey. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, you, you know this. Go into all the world, Jesus says, and preach the gospel to every living creature. It's a great commission. There are two options. Go or send people to go. But we all have a responsibility to either be the one that goes or to be the one that sends. Because the people that are willing to go may not have the resources to be able to go without you and I sending them. That's why I think the missionaries have the hard part and we have the easy part. We get to write the check. They, in some situations, are literally putting their families, their children, on the line. I arrived in Zanzibar, which is a small island off the coast of, of Tanzania, 99% Muslim. Meet a young family, a young couple from Northern California. Again, brilliantly smart people, highly educated people. One a degree from Berkeley, another one a degree from, from University of California. And they're there. They know no one. They've gone through the system, and everything that we're meeting, actually our entire meeting is at a small coffee shop because they have been finding out who the Christians are and trying to basically martyr them, kill them in the city. We've arrived, and three weeks before, there was a pastor whose home was burned to the ground. And I'm looking at this couple. They're articulate. They're smart. They're intelligent. They're good-looking. I mean, they, they don't have to go someplace else. They could have a great life in, in, in somewhere in Northern California where they're from. But God's called them. And they realize that they are not first, but God is first. And they are not second. The world is second. But that they have to be third. They're willing to go. On a regular basis... Tammy and I get alone with God, and we have a conversation, and it goes like this. God, do you want us to go? Not that I want to go. Honestly, right now, tonight, I'd like to be in Fayetteville, Arkansas, because at 7 o'clock, Arkansas, my Razorbacks are going to play LSU. My father thinks they're going to win. I don't know what makes him think that, but that's really where I'd like to be. And then after the game, I'd like to go over to a nice little Italian restaurant who has the best, I know this is crazy, fried chicken, and, and, and eat. But that's not what God's called me to. 
Because I look at couples and I encounter couples that are articulate, that are smart, that are much smarter than I am, that are much, 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 much more academically uh, astute than I am and, and have more giftings than I am. And God calls them to some of these far-flung places in the world where their voice may never be heard and they may never see the actual difference that they're going to make. But they live with this life. We obey because that's the command. And if we don't go, then we send. That's why I have no problem giving to missions. That's why I have no problem saying we're going to give. Because at the end of the day, it's what we're called to do. Go or send. Send prayer. That's important. Send our finances. That's important. Missions is also a commitment that we keep. It's a commitment that we keep. If I could get somebody to help me, it's Chris, if somebody could grab me some water. I don't know what's going on with my voice, but I'm about to just wick away here really quick. And I hate that sound of somebody speaking and they're like, like they've got peanut butter in their mouth. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Man, ask and it shall be given unto you, right? I'm sorry, I don't like to do that, but wow. It's what I call, I don't know, maybe you call it this here too, call, we call it cotton mouth. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? It's usually when you're really nervous, but I don't know, maybe I'm nervous. My pet. No, I'm not nervous, I'm good. <laughs> Missions is a commitment that we keep. Giving. I've been challenging you, and I'm going to continue to challenge you. Because everything that you give to missions, none of it stays here. I don't get a dime of it. Life Church doesn't benefit from it. It all goes out. So on your communication card, there's an opportunity for you to be able to say, hey, I will do, you can either do whatever you can do, a dollar a week, $5 a week, $100, 1000 it doesn't matter. But I, I encourage everybody, if you're a regular Life Church attender, to do something. My goal is not to try to be deep, but to try to be wide on this, to have 100% participation, that everybody can do something. And you may say, hey, I give in other places. So do I. I don't just sow in one field. I'm, I'm not asking you to do that, but I am asking that you prayerfully consider, because that's your money, what you want to do with that. But not just that. We talk a lot about that, but about praying. About praying for these missionaries. You can go on the website. You, you can go on lifechurchwi.com and you can go to the mission, mission section. And if we're able to release their names, some of them are in, are in sensitive countries that we cannot give you their name, not because they're not real, but because anything that's in print on, on media or, or on the web can actually be Google searched and be found out anywhere in the world. So the couple that you just saw on the screen a few minutes ago, their name will not appear on a website. And if it does, it won't be associated with the country that they're living in because, quite frankly, they will be kicked out, deported from the country. But you can go, and you can see the countries that we're in. You can go, and you can see the missionaries that you support. You can go, and you can see the people that are there, and you can pray for them and make a commitment. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Yeah, Pastor, I can't do everything I want to do financially, but you can pray. I can't do it, but you can pray. I'm just a kid, but you can pray. 
It's a commitment. I love the story of the great missionary Hudson Taylor who said he was giving a, a call and an invitation for people that wanted to come to missions. And, 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 and this gentleman comes and he only has one leg and the other leg is a wooden peg leg. And, 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 and this is in the 1800s. And, and, and Hudson Taylor says, you know, why, what makes you think you can, you can do this with your disability? He said, because I don't see any other two-legged people standing in line willing to go. It's a commitment that we keep. It's about not just about giving. It's not just about praying. It's about going. And I just want to stop here for a minute. Because I've dedicated about 12 years of my life hounding and pounding this pavement and this subject matter. And what's happening is that there's a generation of kids now that are coming up in our church. And they're filling a full-time call into vocational ministry. They're good looking, they're educated, they're smart. They can do anything that they wanna do. They can go anywhere they wanna go. But somewhere in the conversation, somewhere in a small group, somewhere in a youth camp, somewhere in a youth convention, somewhere in a mission trip, somewhere in a weekend service, the Holy Spirit says, I'm talking to you. And I'm calling you. And moms and dads, that's uncomfortable for many of you. Because you want them to be successful. You want them to be financially secure. You want them to, and in ministry, you may be blessed. You may not be blessed in those ways. But again, it goes back to the mentality, I'm not first, I'm third. And so for some of you parents, I just want to say this. God's calling your children. And you will either put your blessing on them, or you will restrain them. You will either look at them and say, go and be fruitful and do what God's called you to do, or you in your own fear will hold on to them. But remember what Job says. God is a God that gives and he takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Your children, my children, are a gift from God. God has given them, he's entrusted them to you, not for you to hold on to them, but for you to release them and for you to mold them, for you to shape them to what he's called them to do. This last summer, three of our students who were enrolled in Life Leadership College spent a majority of their summer working in the area of missions. One went to England to work with a church plant. Another went to Calcutta, India. Another went to a stateside mission that works for international missions. All three of them say, there is something in me that I want to go, that I want to be a part of, that I want to give my life. Why? God first. It's the world second. And then I get served. There are students that are here today. There are young adults that are here today. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you, if you hear nothing else that I'm saying, I don't mean to be serious, but, I, but this, this is very serious. God is calling you into full-time vocational missions. Not for a season, but for a reason. He is laying an area of the world. He's laying a call on your heart. And it's going to have to be a willingness for you to leave house and home and to walk away and to go. And I'm telling you this, 
Not because it's an easy statement, not because it's an easy road, because quite frankly, I'm just going to tell you the same thing I tell my kids and I tell anybody that comes to my office that says, Pastor Aaron, I feel called in the ministry. If there's anything in life you can do and be happy, do it. If there was anything else I could do in life and be happy, I would walk away from the ministry tomorrow. This is not something for the faint of heart. I have a dad who works in, he's retired now in the factories and, and, and he, he, we, we have these conversations back and forth where life gets tough and he looks at my life as being very soft because I don't have to get up and like he did as he would tell me, oh, he tells me the whole thing. You know, I mean, the small town he grew up in, they, he had to walk two miles into town to go to football practice and then do two a days and blah, 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 blah. You can't, you can't beat that. So anyhow. But he'll tell me, hey, son, if it ever gets too hard at the church, factory's hiring. <laughs> like, get a, real, get a real grip, boy. It's a hard, hard world out there. The difference is, is that there's a spiritual component to ministry that is sometimes more than what you have the ability to handle. And there are internal asks of God and the Holy Spirit that are completely beyond you and your comfort that are sometimes more than what you can handle. But I'm telling you, if he's calling you, he will equip you. There's nothing else in life I want to do. Don't worry about me walking away from ministry like, oh man, is pastor all right? Like, is it tough? Maybe we should send him a, a, a little gift card, a Chili's or something. And that'd be nice. I like that, right? <laughs> but keep that thought. But I'm okay. I'm not going to quit because I'm called. You understand? I don't do this for a paycheck. I'm called. I'm on this platform, not because of you, because of him, because I'm called. And I'm telling you, as I was preparing this message, the Lord spoke very clearly to my heart. There are students, there are young adults, your children, that God is calling. Not I'm calling, but that God is calling. And if that's you, you got to go. It'd be easier to write a check. You got to go. It'd be easier to pray a prayer. You got to go. And you might meet that young couple that I just met this week who are in Istanbul and Turkey working, maybe never seeing the fruit of their labor. That young couple from Northern California. who are in Zanzibar because God's called. You may be like a friend of mine who is in, who's in the Sudan. Three children, no air conditioning. Matt, why are you there? Matt, there are other places you can go. You could simply go to Morocco and maybe be able to do some things. This is where he has called me, Aaron. 
Because ultimately, missions is a choice that we make. It's a choice. If you don't live a I'm third lifestyle, are you not going to go to heaven? No, you can go to heaven. You just won't have any fruit on this earth. Am I going to go to hell if I don't do the I'm third? No, I'm going to have hell. One way you go to hell is if you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10. I didn't write the book. That's what it says. What will you do? Because your world and my world tells us for you to be first. There's number one and nothing else at all. Kevin Durant, who plays for Oklahoma for the Thunder, who is probably one of the most decorated NBA players, one of the most lucrative players, but he's always been number two. He's a Christ follower. And it drives Durant nuts. I've watched, I've watched interviews. I've read articles. I'm somewhat fascinated a little bit about his, his rise and his whole thing and his, whoever designs his shoes that are pretty cool. But anyhow, and, and, and the thing is, he said, I am on a quest to be number one. That's the world that we live in. Everybody wants to be Kevin Durant. Everybody feels like they're Kevin Durant. Everybody wants to be number one. Number one on the money list. Number one in the sports industry. Number one at the office. Number one. Everybody wants their kids to be number one. Nobody goes, hey, guess what, man? My kid was in third place. You don't put that stuff on Instagram, do you? No. I mean, I hand out ribbons for everything now, but, but no, right? But the word of God and the kingdom of God is upside down. It is not written from a Western perspective. It is an Eastern ideology and theology. God's first. You, the world, is second. And I'm third. And it makes absolutely no rational sense. Except when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then all these things shall be added unto me. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So Proverbs says, trust in the Lord your God with all of your heart, and he'll guide and direct your path. I want to pray. And uh, I just want to pray for two things. I'm not praying that you give more to missions. Quite frankly, among the churches in our fellowship, you are the most generous church. Out of 13,000 Assemblies of God churches in the nation, you're in the top 20 in missions giving and contribution. That's with churches that run 16 and 18,000 people on a weekend service. You give. You're amazing. You love God. No questions. But I'm going to pray this prayer.
that God will continue to stretch your heart to put yourself third. And I'm going to pray secondly that God will give you strength to release your children to the ministry that he's called them to. And that God will give our children strength to do what he's called them to do. This world doesn't make a lot of sense. And I truly believe our time is short. Not because I just think Jesus is coming back. I've heard that all my life. But because I think when you look at the average lifespan of an individual, in light of eternity, it's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And what kind of car I drove or where I lived or where I vacationed or how much money I had in the bank or what initials I had behind my name or in front of my name, how big my church was, will not matter. It won't matter. I looked at this couple my age this week and I said you're a type A personality and you're highly gifted and you're highly articulate and it must drive you up a wall to be in a country to have a calling to a place that you don't really have measurable success And she looked at me and she said, that's been the hardest struggle of my life. Because I want to quantify, I get that. I want to plan, I'm totally that way. Especially where we're going to go eat. I, I want to accomplish much. I, I want to change the world. And yet I, God's called me to a place to where I, I, I have a child that I love that, that is sick. And I go, God, I don't understand. why. And, I, and I've got a situation where, where, where basically uh, success is measured in relationship. And so this person, I actually got to be able to understand them. And this person, I'm, I'm learning the language and, and, and getting it. But, but there's no church. There's no number. There's no anything. And she said, Aaron, this is what I have to do. I just have to be palms up. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. I will serve you. I will serve this world. And I will give of myself. Because she said, as an eight-year-old child, in Superior, Wisconsin. After a Wednesday night service, I sat in the car and my mother reminds me of this. And I told my mom, Mom, one day I'm going to be a missionary. And Mom, one day I'm going to tell people around the world about Jesus. And Mom, this is what God's called me to do. She said, when I went to the University of Wisconsin and I got this degree in biochemical engineering, I didn't understand, God, why do you want me to do that? But I have learned 
that is not in my strength, it is not in my doing, but it is in my being, that the power of Jesus can flow through me. And she begins to cry, holding back tears. And I pray for those families that we spent three and a half, four years with in Istanbul. They don't know Jesus. And the greatest prayer of my life is that I don't know if God will give me the opportunity, but I just want to be able to go back and tell them about Jesus. Because you have to understand where they are. They can't just do what you and I can do. They can't just share openly. They would be deported. They'd be, so they have to begin to ease everybody into this. And I just sat there for a minute. And I just said, God, help me. She's way smarter than I am. I'm every bit as driven as she is. But help me to be third. I knew what I was preaching this weekend. It was like God just sent an object lesson in front of me. She's not first. She's not second. She's third. You may never know her name. She may never have a ministry that they write about or that's on television or that they record about. She may only have a handful of converts. But when she stands before Jesus... He'll say, Nicole, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. You put me first. You served the world second. And you were third. Welcome home. That's my prayer. For me, oh God, I hope I get there. For you, for our children. As Jesus said, truly the harvest is plentiful. The fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. That's your children, man. That's my kids. That's you. That's me. Father, I sense the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And I am humbled beyond words because I am so not worthy to stand here. Forgive me, God, for my selfishness. Forgive me for my pride and my arrogance. Forgive me, God, for trying to always be first, always trying to win. And I pray, God, just as your word says, 
If I will humble myself and I will pray, then you will hear. And you'll heal me. Start with me first, God. Help me to exemplify what it means to live an I'm third lifestyle. Help me to serve the men and women in this room. Help me to serve the men and women in this community. Help me to serve the families in southeastern Wisconsin. Help me, God, to serve. Help me, God, to give until it hurts, to go until I don't know what else to do. I pray, stretch us, Holy Spirit. Knock us off our pedestals. Give us clarity to understand that this world is so temporal. And help us to understand that you are to be first, that we are to serve the world second, and then ourselves. Help us to be like the boy with the fish and the loaves, that instead of eating for ourselves and taking care of ourselves and protecting ourselves, that we with a certain amount of reckless abandon just palms up knowing God that you give and that you take away. But blessed is your name. Here is what I have. That you're first, that my neighbor's second, and that I'm third. And God, I pray for our children that you're calling into vocational ministry. Oh, they're smart enough to be a doctor or a lawyer, to be a corporate executive, to be entrepreneurial enough to, to start a business that's very lucrative. But God, you've given them those abilities, not for themselves but that you would be first, that the world would be second, and that they would be third. And help us as parents to release them, just as we did when they were babies, and we dedicated them unto you. And I pray, God, for our students. I'm seeing it in the lives of our Life Leadership College students. I'm hearing it in our high school kids. I'm seeing it, God, even in my middle school daughter. There's a hand of God. There's a calling of God that's without repentance, that money and that status and that fame and that fortune can never replace, that no, no amount of, of adulation will ever be able to replace because you have called. Not us not mom and dad, not grandma and grandpa, not a church, not a youth pastor, not a kid's pastor, but you, Lord. And I pray, God, as you are speaking even to today, God, speak and quicken their hearts and their minds because you have created them. You've given them the brilliance to serve this world and to be third. And I know there'll be students that you'll call into all kinds of areas into the marketplace, and I thank you for that, but I just sense very strongly this weekend that there are students that you are calling, there are parents you're dealing with about vocational ministry. And I just pray, God, that your blessings would be upon them.
as we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.